0: People want to know that there's hope amidst suffering. People want to know that we're okay, because that means whatever you're going to go through, you can be okay too.
1: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a fabulous story from Kara Potts, who is actually on our team in Katy, Texas. And so you will hear that it's from a live gathering, which we love. We've been a few weeks since we've had a story from a live gathering. And you will hear from the minute that she opens her mouth, the joy that comes out of Kara's mouth. That's right. And that
2: joy really comes from her just knowing the Lord and mm-hmm. knowing His Word. You know, God tells us that we're going to suffer in this world, but He also tells us we suffer with hope. And that is what Kara just reiterates through her story. You're going to love it. I'm so excited that she's also our story within the story this month on Patreon. We're going to delve into this concept of what it means to suffer well. And she's so wise in, in what she <laughs> the information that she gives. So I think
3: you're really going to love that. She is. I can't wait to hear that, Katie. And as you know, Patreon is one of the best ways to suffer. Support our ministry, just click the link in our show notes or go to our website at storytellerslive.org and check out our Patreon community. Here's Kara.
0: Okay, let's first of all get this out. Um, You're not here to hear how strong I am or how great. I am because I think most of you in this room are my real life friends in my real life and you know me and you know that anything that you like about me at the end of the day is Jesus. I mean, that's the truth. If you like that I'm friendly, if you like that I'm excited to see you, if you like that I'm hopeful, if you like that I have peace, that's all Jesus. It's not me. So I just feel really strongly that I need to start with that. I will tell you in three years and three months I have never shared my story with a group. I've one-on-one talked to Dozens and dozens of women, I feel like most of you in the room already know my story. <laughs> I feel a little silly telling it, but telling it maybe from beginning to end, maybe you know snippets, and maybe there's something in there that Jesus has for you. So that's what I'm asking him for, is just if something in my story, um, the Lord has for you today. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, I typically like to just shoot for my hip, but but these days, and you never know where that's gonna go. And so, <laughs> so I thought it might be prudent to type it, But then I realized I couldn't read the font because it was too small. So I just reprinted it in 18 points. So um, (laughs) I I really am giving you my best, ladies. So it it was a little bit of a hot mess. It's like par for the course. I I do want to share with you my story. I think, you know, the Lord writes a story in each of our lives. And our stories are all very different. I look around the room. I know almost all of you. And I know your hard stuff. I know your awesome stuff. Your heart is different than mine, except for about five of you in this room. Our heart is different, but if you're this age, and all of us are this age, you now know that life has its hard its hard things. But what I want to tell you is my story has a really happy beginning, it has a sad, hard middle, and has an awesome, perfect end. And you might say, how do you know the end? Because you're 49, I mean, I'm not expecting to die today, so how do you know the end? And if you know Jesus, no matter what life brings, you do know the end. You know the end of your story. And that gives so much peace. So no matter what happens between my middle sad and my end, I know it's going to end well. Um, I grew up in a home with a mom and dad that loved Jesus. And I'll always be so thankful um, for that foundation. I didn't have to go looking for it. It was in my home and my parents modeled it for me and they took me to church and I knew the things. Part of knowing the things (laughs) means that sometimes you're like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that. And then as you get older, you go through circumstances and you're like, this is what it means to live in freedom. This is what it means to give grace. This is, so the Lord has been working in my life, but I'm very thankful that my parents lived out Deuteronomy six, that they talked about him when we were at home and when we lied down and when we went out in the streets, they, they talked about Jesus. And I'll always be thankful for that foundation. Early on, probably in my twenties now thinking that the Lord allowed me to understand that blessing, the blessing from Jesus is not a good education. Being talented. He wasn't showing me his favor because I have not had cancer. Um, the blessing of Jesus is that the blessing of God is that he sent Jesus. That is the blessing. We're all blessed because of what Jesus did for us. So I, I started really sitting on that early on, that whatever your stage, whatever your situation, it's all very different. I mean, Thankfully, I started going on overseas mission trips and boy, does that change your perspective, right? Because you see people in all walks of life and it makes you realize that they are just as blessed as we are. They just live very differently. Jesus's blessing is for them too. So um, fast forward, Dave and I met at Baylor. Lots of Baylor friends here today. Um, We got married right after Baylor. We moved five times in five years. I had Avery when I was 28, and um, by the time she was 3 months old, we had actually moved to Katy, and we've been here ever since. We've been here almost 21 years. I ended up having 3 kids in 39 months, which some people think, oh, that's hard, and some people are like, yeah, I had 4, so, you know, (laughs) (laughs) trust me, I'm not holding that up as like, look how great, (laughs) but uh, I had 3 kids in 39 months. And um, one of my favorite things to remember about that stage of my life, and I can say it now. I couldn't have said it before, but now I can say it. I felt kind of guilty that I was so stinking happy. Like I just was. I would hear other people, oh my gosh, you know how little kids are, you know, so exhausting, you know, I have no me time. And in my head, I was like, really? Because I'm like living for this. (laughs) Like I loved it. Really, really, really loved being a mom. And I loved all the things, all of the dance recitals and the sports practices and the, you know, fill in the blank of all the things. Um, I loved it all. If I could sum up my life at this point, um, going into my early 40s, um, I was very, very content. You know, Dave's job was a little bit of a mess. So there was some financial discontent. There were some, you know, whatever, there was some discontent. But overall, when I woke up in the morning, I always thought, I'm like living the best life. Like, I feel bad that other people struggle, but um, I am so thankful. I'm so content. That brings us to, uh, I'm 45 years old. It's 2018. I have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old. They were in 11th, 9th, and 7th grade. I used to teach Bible study at Kingsland. Some of you did Bible study with me back in the day. And I really loved that. Like, boy, I love me a Thursday morning Bible study and a Bethmore workbook. And, you know, that is like totally my jam. But um, after a while, I just started feeling like you can't get to know people that well on a Thursday morning in a room of 30 and that there should be more to it. Than what what I was doing, and I really felt like the Lord called me to just do a Bible study with. I'm going to put this in quotes, and I'm not sure why. My real friends, like people that I, my kids were friends with, and that we went out on Friday night with, like those people. Let's just get together and do Bible study with them. And I remember I was actually standing here when I said it. I was talking to my not like I stand, but for some reason I remember myself standing. I don't know what to say. Um, I remember saying like, girls the reason why I do Bible study has totally changed. Like for most of my life, it was because that's what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to go to Sunday school and church. And then if it, if they offered on Sunday night, hit that too. And then, you know, do Bible study every morning. First thing before you do anything else, you know, in the morning when I wake, give me Jesus. And so, um, you know, and then, you, know you do your Bible study and you check the box and I am like, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but the Lord really shifted something in me. I understood that I actually needed it. I needed to know what I know because the verse in this life, you will have trouble. I just knew that to be true, that life can be hard. And that I wanted to know what I know. Um, So I stood here and I said to my Bible study, y'all, someone in this room, Um, is going to get divorced. Someone in this room could lose a husband. Someone in this room, God forbid, could lose a child. And so we want to know what we know. You know, storms of life, you never know when they're coming. And it was in February of 2018. And my friend Wendy's family had a storm. And um, I stood, I I sat in the Kingsland um, sanctuary And I listened to my godly, prayerful, beautiful friend stand up and say, I am now a member of a club that nobody wants to be a part of. But 1 Thessalonians 4.13 reminds us that we don't grieve like the rest of the world grieves, but we grieve with hope. And she was burying her 22-year-old son. And I stood against that. In the sanctuary, and and her words, I, I don't think I'd ever heard the verse said like that. We grieve with hope, and that really stuck with me. And so I took the program home. Um, for those of you that know me, I keep no paper. If you give me something, I'll read it and go, oh, and then throw it in the trash. I'm just not, I'm not a collector of stuff. <laughs> it's just not my jam. So when I had to fire everything burned, I was like, oh well. Um, so. <laughs> So, uh, but for some reason, that program, I thought the whole service was so beautiful. Every song she had chosen, um, every scripture, I just thought this, this is something. So I took the program home and I told Dave, I said, hey, I want you to put this in our like file f- because when I pass away, I want you to just model my funeral after this because it was perfect. So we did, we slipped that piece of paper in a folder. February 19th, I was an NCL mom. We had just put on senior recognition. It was fantastic. You know, uh, we killed it that year. And um, (laughs) we had had a busy, busy week. So I was looking forward to Monday. The 19th was President's Day. And so I had told Avery, since you're off school, we've worked so hard all weekend, like let's go shopping and have lunch and just do like a day. So I was super excited about it. So she's in the car. Her view of shopping is like walk in one store, Grab a coffee and then go home. Like she's she's she doesn't have a lot of stamina, but um, but but in my head this was this was going to be a really fun day. So um, we were headed to our first first store, and um, my phone was ringing, and I I always answer no, I don't. I always look at my phone and make a choice if I answer or not. But I was trying to really be in the moment, so I didn't answer my phone. And then after a while, I realized it was Dave's doctor, and I was like. This is what kind of an optimist I am. <laughs> when that happened, I was like, I wonder why he's calling on a holiday. Like in my heart, he's probably calling to say hi, check on us. So um, when I tell you from the bottom of my heart I was not worried, I actually totally mean that. <laughs> so I called Dave, and I was like, hey, I'm trying to be with Avery, and your doctor's calling. So can you just give him a call? And he goes, Kara, he just called. I have lymphoma. Isn't that cancer? I'm like, what? And so um, I didn't want Avery to hear. So what I really said is, oh, okay, well, we'll be home in a little bit and we'll talk then. And so um, we drove home and I walked in the front door and I was like, hey, so why don't you go upstairs and blah, blah, blah. And I walked in Dave's office and Dave's just standing there. And he says, well, I, I have lymphoma. And I thought, well, this is shocking. <laughs> like I didn't. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, tonight we'll talk about it. Like we'll start the, you know, we're... We'll, Neither of us are prone to hysterics, so we just kind of were like, okay. And all of a sudden, he reaches down to pick up a suitcase. And I'm like, where are you going? He's like, well, I have a work trip. And I was like, you're leaving now? He was like, well, it's not gonna kill me today. So, <laughs> so, true, true story. <laughs> um, so he, he left, and um, he's in remission. I'll we'll fast forward to that part. He's in remission, but, but let me tell you what the Lord did with that. Telling my kids was really hard. Now looking back, sometimes your really hard isn't really that hard, but at the point this was really hard. And we sat the kids down on the sofa, we said, your dad has cancer, we trust Jesus completely, he's our healer, you know, we will lean on him, we said all of the things. Cooper took it the hardest. You know, out of your three kids, you have one that's super sensitive. Cooper is my sensitive child, he was definitely more of a worrier than my, you know, my other two, if I tell them it's going to be okay. They're like, Mom said it's okay. Like, we're good. <laughs> but Cooper's like, well, I don't know if it's going to be good. So, so it really hurt me to have to tell my kids that because, you know, you want your life, you want your kids' lives to be full of roses and joy and hard things. So uh, in July of 2018, Cooper, all my kids went on mission trip. And it's one of my favorite pictures to this day. All three kids have on a different colored shirt that says Kingsland mission trip. And um, Cooper went to Chicago. Avery went to maybe Nicaragua and Carson went somewhere, I don't remember. Um, but Cooper went to Chicago. And um, he was part of a sports team. So they they worked with like an inner city group and they um, did a sports camp. And later on, my good friend Brian Kling, who we've been friends at church forever, hey, I want to tell you something. Uh, He sent it to me in in an email, so I actually copied it on here, but I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, I want you to know that Cooper shared his testimony now cooper was a very normal 16 year old boy he was not like at at school with his bible sharing his faith with every friend at seven lakes that was not happening um cooper had absolutely asked jesus into his heart at a young age he was baptized at kingsland you know we did the things and he did have a, have a very, very soft spot for the Lord. And um, one of my favorite things about him is he liked for me to lay down with him at night, even at 16, and he wanted to talk um, with the lights out and just share. And that's when I had the opportunity to speak in some spiritual things and I had the opportunity to listen. So that, that's a sweet thing for me to think about. He shared his testimony and it's like, oh my gosh, what did he say? You know, you just never even know what your kid's gonna say. And he, he shared that Dave's cancer made his faith become real to him. And that for the first time in his life, he realized that he couldn't get through that without leaning on the Lord. And that he trusted God. I mean, I could tell you, tell you all of it, but he, he said that God was drawing him closer to him and that he talked with other kids at the camp after he shared that. Because, you know, when we're vulnerable, other people are free to be vulnerable also. So other kids came up and he had an opportunity to go, yeah, this is super hard, but like I'm, I'm trusting God for this. So later on hearing that was so sweet. It was so sweet. Storm number two, Storm one was Dave's cancer. Storm number two hit on Labor Day weekend, 2018. This weekend, all three of my kids got invited to go somewhere, which like, that doesn't happen. So Carson was somewhere with his friends. Cooper was invited to someone's ranch in, I always say the wrong thing, Wimberley, (laughs) in Wimberley. And um, Avery was invited to go to Galveston. And so Dave and I are like, yes, awesome. And I'm not really one to like just let my kids go with anybody. So one of the families I didn't know very well. And so I asked them, oh, sweet family. So I'm like, yeah, this is good. We're all good. So sent everybody away. Dave and I went and did an overnight staycation with friends. Um, Just had the best weekend. Sunday afternoon, we had decided to um, cook dinner at home. So I was in HEB. And I was going down the the, um, frozen food aisle. And I think I was getting the little cheese rolls, like the Brazilian cheese rolls. I really like those. <laughs> um, but we were having scallops. And so I, I bought scallops and I had bought the things and I was in the frozen food aisle at H-E-B and my phone rang and it was Dave. And uh, so I picked up. I'm like, hey, what'd you forget? And he, I couldn't understand him. He was um, crying so hard. And I heard him say Cooper and I heard him say accident, but I couldn't make out anything else. So I said, okay, I'll be right home. And so I hung up the phone, and I left my basket, and I ran out of H-E-B. I got in my car, and in the 1.5 miles to my house, I was yelling, Jesus, anything but just let him live. Anything, just let him be alive. Whatever, just let him him be alive. And 1.5 miles later, I pulled into my driveway, and my husband was standing out in the grass. And I opened my door, and he said, Cooper's gone. In that moment, this is where I want you to really hear that this is, Jesus and not Kara. It's like your mind can't even process what someone's telling you. So I started saying, God is good. He is faithful. God is still good. And I was just screaming that in my front yard. I look back on that and I'm so thankful for that foundation of faith that had allowed me to know the character of God before this happened. Because let me tell you, you can find Jesus anywhere, right? You can find him in the middle of your storm. You can find him after your storm. I mean, you can find him. He's always there. But I was thankful to have known his character before. Because I'm going to tell you, it was hard knowing God's character. I can't imagine people that go through it without Jesus. That's all a blur. Kind of that whole first year, to be totally frank with you, was a little bit of a blur. You know, you come in and you think, what are you supposed to do? We called Pastor Omar who after countless mission trips, local and international, I consider him a dear friend and wise. I called him and uh, he and Cheryl came over. We just sat on this couch and somehow people helped us figure out how to get my kids back. Um, So I thought telling my kids about Dave's cancer was hard. Doesn't really hold a candle to the day that you have to tell your other kids that your son died. So that day is a little bit of a blur. It was a a Sunday and um, Monday night, they did a, um, I guess Seven Lakes wouldn't call it a prayer vigil, but they did a gathering at Seven Lakes. And we showed up and people told stories. And you still just think, I I wasn't crying. I'm hugging people. Thank you for coming. You know, it's it's, it's such a blur. And then Monday night, Joe Landy asked if the kids could do a prayer vigil at church. And again, I'm just like, yes, of course, let's get together and pray. A lot of people showed up and, I, and it, what it made me realize looking back, just like today when I look at you, people want to know that there's hope amidst suffering. People want to know that we're okay because that means whatever you're going to go through, you can be okay too. And that day when those kids came to the courts, I realized people want to know, they want to know. And um, I think possibly I shared the gospel that night. I don't really remember. I know I took the microphone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't know what to say. Um, And I I very quickly realized, and I'm probably glossing over so you're not even understanding that, you know, my stomach was so upset I couldn't eat anything. It was hard for me to breathe. Like right now, I'm like, like it was very hard to take a breath you know, your mind is just going like this. I realized even, even on that Monday that, you know, this is going to be my thing. This is, this is what people are going to know. And I can either crumple up or I can grab any glory for Jesus that I can grab. And so I'm going to do that for every one of you. So many of you in this room, I am not the person that wants you to come hug me and come be with me. Like, mm mm-mm. I was like, back it up, sister. Um, I wanted my two kids and Dave, and that was it. Everyone's different, right? Some of us love, and I was like, mm. But so many people just sat outside my front porch and prayed, never even told me they were here. People left meals, people left them. One sweet friend, for six months, she texted me every morning a prayer. Do you know how sweet that was to me? I kept every morning. I was like, I'm sure. sure. So, I mean, for six months. Never missed a day. I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. Um, so, if you were a Christian back in the 1980s, you know the footsteps. You know, we all had it framed in our house. You know, and it was like, Jesus, why did you leave me during that hard time in my life? Well, my child, it was then that I carried you. I remember thinking about that that first week and thinking, oh... This is what it looks like. <laughs> like I felt carried. And so when people would say, I've been praying for you, I was like, I, I know you have. I know I can certainly feel, um, your prayers. And so for every one of you, and to this day, people still will text me on the second of the month. Um, people will still randomly send me a, you know, we're, we're praying for your family. The Lord uses that to encourage me and to show me that um, he's still carrying us. It's hard to remember the first week. We sat on, I would say, this couch, but we had a big house fire in April of 2019. I'm not even gonna call that a third storm. It was just a a thing. But it actually wasn't this couch, but it was in the same place. Um, We sat on the couch, and uh, Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian that I think is super funny. You know, you still have to fill your day. You have to do something. And so Carson was like, mom, can we, can we watch Tim Hawkins? It was like, yeah. So we just sat on the couch and watched Tim Hawkins over and over and over again. So during that time and for weeks after, nighttime was the hardest. Like I could pretty much pull it together during the day because I wanted my kids to be okay. You know, as a mom, it's like, this is unfathomable, but by golly, Avery and Carson, I'm going to make sure you're okay so during the day, you know, I could pretty much do the things, but at night when I closed my eyes, I would always see the accident. Now, um, just so you know, what happened was Cooper was at a sweet family's ranch and he was having the time of his life. And he sent me a text, (laughs) mom, this place is legit. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And, um, and he was just having the best time. And um, Saturday night at 12 30 a.m., so early Sunday morning, he sent me a text and he said, Good night, mom. I love you. And um, that day they got up and they um, rode ATVs. And about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, they got on an ATV and his buddy was driving. I'm sure they were going too fast. They would have been going too fast if Cooper was driving. So hear me say that. Um, 16-year-old boys like to drive fast. And they took a, a curve and it flipped. And um, it flipped into water. And Cooper drowned. He was in a seatbelt. And the other boy um, was able to undo his seatbelt and swim out. But Cooper had been knocked out. And um, so he, he, um, the other boy ran for help and the precious family came down, and although Cooper was already gone, um, they did CPR on him and prayed over him. So I never saw, I mean, I've never driven there, I haven't seen it, but of course I have a picture of it in my mind's eye, right? It's actually hard, but it's really sweet to me to think about those precious people that didn't even know me praying over my son. So that is what would come to me as I shut my eyes at night. And I was like, come on, this is, no. You know, Jesus, I need to think about something else. But boy, I kept seeing him underwater. It was really hard. And so one night, I don't remember what day. It could have been days. It could have been weeks. I don't know. I remembered a verse that it turns out I've tweaked a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to still roll with it. 2 <laughs> Corinthians 5.8 actually says it would be better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And the way I tweaked it, which I will continue to hold on to because I believe it is 1000% true, is when you're absent from your body, you are present with the Lord. And the Lord, that night when I said, I actually can't do this anymore. Like it's, it's too much to watch him drown every night. It's too much. The Lord gave me one of the sweetest visions that um, I'd love to just describe to you. (laughs) I love telling this because we always had a picture of Jesus hanging up like in our daily bread situation. And, And Jesus was always like really skinny. And for those of you that know my husband, he's a big guy. So skinny Jesus just doesn't really compute with me. So when I was praying, I was like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I had the clearest picture of jesus but it was big strong jesus like he looked like dave's chest but it was jesus and um and and i laid my head down on his chest and i was able to like breathe and i fell asleep every night for a long long time when i went to shut my eyes and i would start to think about the accident i remembered to lay my head on Jesus' shoulder and i thought when he was absent from his body Lord, he was, and that gave me such comfort. The mornings were actually equally as hard because I told you I'm a complete optimist. I am glass half full. I am, it's all going to be okay. And so every morning I wake up and I'm like, and then you remember. And for those of you in the room, it's different for all of us, but it's for a long time that you remember. You wake up and you've forgotten and then you remember. And sometimes it would be a couple of minutes and I'd wake up and I'm thinking, oh, I, you know, I got to get the kit. That really happened. And so, um, in the morning, one of my favorite things was to stand at that coffee pot. Cooper is my only morning person in my family. And so he woke up with the exact same sunny side up. He would meet me at the coffee pot. Good morning, mama. You know, he always hugged me from behind. I was always at my coffee pot and he'd come up and he would give me a hug. And, um, so sweet. So now mornings were really, really, really hard. I would wake up every day knowing he was gone. In fact, the last time I saw him, I was sitting right where you are and um, I had made him two pieces of cinnamon toast and he walked out the door to go to school on Friday morning and he turned around and said, bye mom, I love you. And that was the last time I ever saw him. So mornings were hard. I am thankful for the day that it finally moved into subconsciously knowing that this is real. And I don't wake up anymore having to remember. It just is part of my story now. A long time ago at Kingsland, I did a Bible study with an older lady and she had cancer and she was dying. And she told me, she said, Kara, anytime you're in the valley of the shadow of death, look for lilies. Um, I'm trying to look. Remember the ladies lived in Cat Springs. And um, she said, there are lilies in the valley and then she told me something I'm gonna be real I don't remember it but I held on to lilies in the valley the first lily that I saw in the valley of the shadow of death was when I was trying so hard to reframe my thoughts with the truth of what I know it's hard it's really really hard to do I was trying to reframe my thoughts and I had a second I'm gonna call it a vision I was awake but I saw it in my dream And as real as you're sitting there, Cooper was laying on the ground and the other family was around him and they were doing CPR and they were praying over him. And Jesus was standing right here. And then I watched Cooper stand up. His body was still on the ground, but I watched him stand up and he moved over to Jesus. So I'm behind him and Jesus put his arm around him and like motioned, like it's time to go. And Cooper looked at him and he said, wait, I've got to tell my mom that I'm okay. And Jesus looked at him and said, she already. And that was sweet because that would have been exactly what Cooper would have done. Was He would have wanted to make sure that I knew he was okay. And Jesus was right. I did know. I did know that he was okay. You know, I thought back to Brian Kling sharing with me about Cooper sharing his faith. And, you know, I know you have a similar story when someone... You can know your kid knows Jesus, but boy, when somebody confirms that for you, it is such a blessing. And I'll hold on, I saved Brian Kling's email. You know, I I reread it yesterday and thought, thank you, Jesus, for that sweet reminder that he stood up in front of kids and said, I'm trusting Jesus with my dad's cancer. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where he is right now. What I tell people when I talk about this is grief is a really, really heavy backpack. All of us are asked to carry a backpack through life and they're not fair. Some people's backpacks are way heavier than other people's. Some people have the lightest backpack and you're like, seriously, nothing happens to her. (laughs) You might've thought that about me (laughs) until I was 45. Now no one can say that to me. But what I will tell you is the Lord gives you the strength to carry the backpack that he gave you to carry. But when you add extra things onto it, that's when it becomes too heavy of a load to bear. So very quickly, Dave and I said, we're not going to carry anger and we're not gonna carry bitterness. But grief was hard enough mean, we were barely able to breathe with grief. So we asked the other family to come over, both of the other families, the driver's family and the ranch owner's family. And we sat right here and we prayed together and we said, Thank you. Thank you for, for being there. Thank you for praying. We looked at the boy that was driving in the eye. I said, don't you ever, ever let Satan take this and make you feel unworthy, unloved. Like we're not going to give him that. We're not going to give him anything in this. Um, and, and I can't tell you how freeing that was. Now I want to stop and say, situations are different. So because we were able to do that doesn't mean everybody that has had a horrible accident that that's your story. But I'm telling you, my story. i He was Cooper's friend. <laughs> he loved Cooper. And so him feeling bad or me being angry wasn't going to help anything. In fact, it was going to hurt. It was going to hurt me and it was going to hurt him. So we did that. Those first few weeks, I can tell you, I barely opened my Bible. You would think, I, I mean, you probably are going, she was probably super holy, like oh. just holding your Bible. No, I was just trying to like, you know, just, just trying to breathe. But, but verses that I knew Came back, and that's where I was so thankful for every time that I had spent in God's Word before 2018, and 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 the verse when Romans 8:26 says, "The Spirit helps us in our weakness." We sometimes don't know what we should pray, and He Himself intercedes for us. Um, I had known that verse growing up, but boy, that became real to me. I didn't feel like I had to explain to Jesus how I was feeling. I just was like, you know, you know, and and just. Just tried to make it through those first, those first few weeks. Um, fast forward to his funeral. Something about people bringing flowers. I mean, planning your child's funeral is something our other friend just, we, we both went to a funeral on Monday for another Katie mom who lost her 20 year old daughter. And that whole week before, I just thought, I know you're choosing a casket. People are asking you which plot you want. And the whole time you're thinking, This is surreal. Like, I can't even believe we're doing this. But somehow I knew I didn't want a whole bunch of flowers. It was probably like just the practical side of me. I thought, then I'm just going to throw them away. So I told Pastor Omar, I said, hey, in lieu of flowers, people can just give to Kingsland Missions. Like, that would make me feel better if... He said, okay. The funeral is kind of a blur, but there's one thing that I remember. We had it as Well played, and I remember... I didn't remember until Christy, reminded me. Um, During the song in the funeral, do you remember this? I guess I lifted my hand during it as well. And I remember, even in that moment, knowing that the man that penned that song had just found out that his four daughters had been killed, had been, they drowned. (laughs) And, And he penned it as well. And, you know, go home and reread it if you didn't know that story. Because it's so much more than just a hymn. And I thought in this moment, while I'm standing here at my son's funeral, my soul is still well. I hurt. I'm sad. I mean, sad is such a silly word. I mean, it's, it's so beyond sadness. But I still knew in that moment that um, my soul was well. Four months later, um, Avery and I went to Cambodia. Cam- um, Leslie and I have been, by that time, I guess it was 10 times maybe. And I loved it. And I will tell you that um, knowing other people's stories, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about storytellers, is knowing other people's stories gives you such perspective. What if I only knew a little group of y'all that all of your lives had essentially been fairly easy? It's it's really hard to have good perspective. But when I know Noit Hyde, who lived through the Khmer Rouge and watched her husband, her father be gunned down, uh, six of her siblings starved to death. She lost everyone in her family. And not only is she still alive, but she is alive and ministering to orphans and, um, the most marginalized. And she has such a story of joy. So knowing her, I remember thinking every day, you know, cause you have like 14 hours you have to get through every day. And so I had my things and one of them was, Noit can do this. I can do this. My story is not the worst. I'll never look at any of you and say "Say I've lived through the worst because I haven't. Cooper Potts was happy the day he died. He was joyful. He knew his parents loved him. He had great friends, you know, and, and although those moments of his death are hard to think about, I really can honestly tell you that now when I think about it, I see him in heaven going like, mom, it's good now. Like, I'm fine. Like, don't cry about that. It's over. You know what I mean? I really know. I know that in my soul. So we went to Cambodia. I was riding in the truck with Stephen Noit. Steve is the missionary that we support in Cambodia. And his father was martyred by Muslim extremists in the Philippines. And then Noit, I already told you, her whole family had been killed by the Khmer Rouge. And I had known their story for 10 years. And, you know, there's much more to it, but I'll leave it at that. And so I'm in the backseat of the truck and we're headed to buy a bunch of pizzas for the kids. And um, they bring up Cooper. And no one had brought it up. You know, it was only four months since the funeral. So no one's trying to trigger me. But um, they brought it up. And I said to him, I said, knowing you all has really helped me get through the last four months. Because I've watched you live and love and minister and have hope. And so if you can do it, I know I can too. And Steve, this great big guy, starts crying and he was like the Lord gave me a vision and I had it painted and we want to give it to you and I thought "Oh, okay so um he gave me a tube and I unrolled it and when I tell you it was the same Jesus that I laid my head on his shoulder it was the same Jesus but he was holding Cooper and Steve went on to share of course he knew nothing about my vision earlier and, and what steve told me is he said the first time the artist drew it he made jesus too small he said cooper was six two, and he made jesus too small so i had him go back and make him a bigger stronger jesus and and it was just another one of those moments where i went thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That you're just kind of knitting together this story. So um, what I didn't know is when we walked into the school in Cambodia, Avery and I were not aware that the foyer has this huge picture of Cooper and Jesus. Now, mind you, and then there's a whole write-up about our family in English and then in Kumai and pictures of our family, which to me, just the sweet part is everyone in that country is no more suffering than I will ever know. Just by virtue of where I live, I will never know that kind of suffering. And for them to honor our family like that seemed lavish. It seemed just like too much, but it was, it was sweet. It was really, really sweet. We went back to church uh, the second Sunday after Cooper was buried. And Lindsay Osborne was teaching. And um, she was teaching on Jarius's daughter. And I'm standing there listening, and you know I'm still kind of—I mean, I still may look like this a lot, but you know I'm just kind of like this. And she's teaching, and she's telling about how the the man came and said, "Please, Jesus, come! I want you to heal my daughter." Um, it's in Mark, and Jesus said, "Yeah, I'm coming." And then on the way, who stopped him? The woman with the issue of blood, and she touched his garment, and so Jesus took time to heal that woman. And so by the time he got to Jairus' daughter, she had died. But do you know what Jesus did? He raised her from the dead. He said, she's not, she's not dead. She's, so here I am leaning against the wall in the fuel room and I'm thinking, yep, you absolutely had the power to save Cooper that day. And somehow instead of that being a negative, it built my faith that Lord, you could have, but you chose not to. You number our days and that was Cooper's day. I couldn't have outsmarted it. It had nothing to do with going to the ranch or letting him ride the ATV. That was the day that, that God had for Cooper to come home. And so that was a um, a pivotal moment for me to go, my God is big enough to have saved him, but he chose not to. So as I walk around Katie, and when you see me, I finally put pictures of Cooper back on the wall after the fire. The picture of him as a baby there, there are my three kids there. Um, there's three, the three of them there. Uh, You can't escape things that make you remember. Every mom that has three little kids, every black Jeep Cherokee, every Whataburger, you know, I could keep going, you know. (laughs) You can never escape all of the things that um, remind you. But I felt like then that the Lord just kind of whispered into my heart that you have 40 years, and 40 years isn't that long. Now, let me stop and say it wasn't a prophetic, I think I'm dying at 85 it could be tomorrow, (laughs) it could be when I'm 85. But 40 in the Bible is a time of wandering. It's a time of um, preparation and waiting. That was another one of those things I wasn't looking to think about, but I always know that it's the Holy Spirit talking when it's something that I wouldn't have thought of myself. It's not like I just read that in a book. So I knew it was the Lord giving me that, that, you know, 40 years, I've called you to 40 years or, and, um, You can do this you can do this and so that's kind of where i am today it's like i'm three years and two months down closer to going to heaven again it could be tomorrow but um it matters how we live now there um there's a book people always ask me when they find out a friend has lost someone what book should i give them i'm the wrong person to ask 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 my other friends because i'm like I don't know, did they really help? But um, I just needed Jesus. I couldn't like pour through the books to get everybody else's opinion on everything. But I read this one by Levi Lesko, and it's called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And he lost his five-year-old daughter. She had an asthma attack and died. And he's a pastor up north. He wrote about changing your lens. Like when I look at this with earthly eyes, I mean, it's a lot of loss. My kids have had a lot of loss. Like it's hard. But when you switch that and you think of it from a heavenly perspective, It's like, but what glory are you getting from this, Lord? Like, what are you going to do with this? Who is going to end up in heaven? Because this made them think about their mortality. Like how, you know, so it's flipping to that heaven lens. But I'll tell you, it's exhausting. Because back in the early days, I had to do it 50 times a day. You know, my head would start going this way. And it was like, nope, here's the truth. Here's the truth. And it it was really, really hard. One of the things he said in his book is after you lose a child, you get a really big stage with a really big microphone. And today is probably, it's when that actually happened. I've had lots of one-on-one opportunities to talk to people, but I've never shared in a group. But people listen when you've lost a child. You can't really argue with me about heaven. No one's gonna say, no, he's not there. They're not going to, they're gonna listen to me. Whether you agree with me or not, they're gonna listen to me. So now I can like, say whatever I want and no one, no one <laughs> argues. So, you know, I really want to use that. I want to use that for God's glory, right? I mean, my big microphone, I, I, I tease people that I'm grief popular. I know some other people in this room, you're, you're grief popular too. You know, someone will see me, Oh I, I know you. And I think, you know me cause I lost Cooper. I'm grief popular. You know, I don't really know you, but, um, but because of that, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? One of the things that has helped me the most is surrounding myself with a sisterhood of Jesus loving friends. Um, I had the honor of having a precious group of friends. Many of you are in this room. Um, I never have lacked for beautiful, precious Jesus loving friends, but the Lord gave me some new ones. He really revealed something sweet to me when I was preparing for this. My friend Wendy had just lost her son and soon after, my other friend lost her son. And the three of us started getting together. And we've gone to church together for a long time. We knew each other, but we didn't run around on Friday night together. But there's something about looking at each other and going, you know, I get that. Like, me too. I don't have to explain. And none of us were searching for Jesus in this or asking the whys. We could just knit our hearts and look at Jesus and encourage each other. And then this is the part that I kind of got a little bit verklempt about, he gave me a double blessing. Like, he didn't have to do that. Giving me y'all was enough, but he gave me Julie and Joy, who both of their sons, their teenage sons, died in ATV accidents. And through a beautiful story that I don't have time to tell you, he gave them to me as friends. And the three of us can talk, and I treasure that time. So um, he gave me a double portion of blessing of um, sisters in Christ who know exactly how I feel, and exactly what I go through, and we can pray for and encourage each other for the next 40 years, or however long we have. So this is the verse that just leapt out at me, Ecclesiastes 4.12. This is the mes- message version. By yourself, you're unprotected, but with a friend, you can face the worst. Could you round up a third? A three-stranded rope, it isn't easily snapped. And I was like, yeah, God, yeah. This three-stranded rope twice is is not easily going to snap. That brings me to the end. Grief is a heavy backpack. People asked me about the stages of grief, which stage I was in. I googled it to double check what the next stage was supposed to be. (laughs) And this is the gospel truth. I decided just to skip them because they seem too exhausting. (laughs) Honestly, like, like you can't help the first one. I think it's like shock. You can't help that one but then there's like anger and depression and bitterness. And I thought, well, Jesus, I actually don't have the energy for any of those. So I'm going to jump to acceptance and just ask you to carry me. And um, again, all of our stories are different, but he has allowed me to jump to acceptance. I very, very clearly know these verses like I never knew them before. They're in technicolor in my life. There is a peace that passes understanding that you don't know if you haven't lived it. He is so close to the brokenhearted, like crazy close. He shows up in ways you never saw him before. He really is rest for our souls. His mercies are actually new every morning and this earth is not our home. When I think about it that way, Cooper was never built for this earth. He wasn't and neither are we. Um, We're here for a while and we're here for a purpose, but eternity is what we're built for. So when you feel unrest, when you feel like things aren't fair, when you feel like it's too hard and it's too much, you're right, it is, (laughs) it is. Because we we were never built for this. We were built for eternity where there isn't death and there isn't sickness. So I try very hard to keep my eyes on what's coming and not what is, gone. Every day I'm sad. Don't get me wrong. Every day. But one of the things I will, I will tell you is I have learned that you can live with suffering and with grief and with sadness in the very same breath, have joy. I promise you, you can. Um, And I don't think I would have known that before. You know, our family is still happy. We still have a lot of joy, even amidst really, really hard. So To conclude, um, scripture often talks about life as a race and um, we're all running our race. Each of you have a race that you're running and um, it looks different than mine. But I have the sweetest vision of, and this one I pretty much conjured up in my head. I'm not gonna tell you Jesus gave me this one. (laughs) Um, um, I, I very clearly see heaven And I see myself coming in at the end of the race. I remember Pastor Omar said one time that he doesn't want to show up like well-rested and in really clean clothes like, hey, Jesus, I'm here. He's like, I want to come across the finish line, like battered and bloody and dragging myself because I've given everything I got while I'm here. And that stuck with me. I love that. Like, like, I don't want to waste it, right? I don't want to waste it. So I picture myself coming in on the, on the finish line and, um, I love this. As I come in, I can see as clear as day. Cooper had the longest arms. They were like crazy long. And I picture him ahead of Jesus. I actually picture him like like cheering me on going, come on, mom, you've got this. And when I come across him giving me a hug and going, you did it. I'm so proud of you. And Jesus is right behind him watching. And um, I think Jesus is completely okay with me seeing Cooper first. I don't think that takes one thing away from him because he knows my mom's heart. And I think he's going to be like, Cooper, go ahead. Go. She's finally here. So all of that to tell you, if any part of this story makes you think, I don't get that. Like, that's not how I feel. I know Jesus. I know about him. I'm a Christian. We go to church. We don't, whatever. But um, that's not resonating with me. I want you to know that it is absolutely available to every single person. And it's through a relationship with Jesus, not just knowing about him. And I am available for any coffee, tea, glass of wine, whatever, (laughs) um, (laughs) that uh, if you ever wanna talk more about it, because um, like Ethel said, I can promise you that this is what I believed before September 2018. And it's still what I know to be true, but I know it even more now.
2: One of the things that Kara's story just really encouraged me to do is to just store up God's Word in my heart. You know, towards the end of her story, she just gave so many attributes about who God is and what His Word says, the the peace that passes all understanding, that He's close to the brokenhearted. I mean, she just said so many things, one after the other, and that was because she had stored up God's Word in her heart. And that's what we need. We've got to build our house on the rock. So when those storms come, Mm -hmm. we're prepared for them. And it just really encouraged me in my faith to hear her her talk Mm -hmm. about that and how it prepared her to just stand in that suffering and to experience... You know, she said, you can have the sadness and and the grief, but you can Mm -hmm. have joy in that too. And I believe that joy was because
3: she knew God's word Mm -hmm. and she knew what he said and where Cooper was. Right. And even in the beginning, she started with, I love how she prefaced her story with, you know, yes, I've had some hard, but if you know Jesus, you know the end. And as believers, we have hope in the fact Mm -hmm. that there is more beyond this life. And as illustrated in the quote that we used, I mean, people want hope. And that's what Storytellers Mm -hmm. is about, giving women hope in the Lord.
1: Right. And when you know the word and you're in a season of desperation where Mm -hmm. you literally can't pick up your Bible, you literally Mm -hmm. can't do anything. And you've got God's word in your Mm -hmm. heart already. It it comes out without your knowing. In our house, we keep worship music on a lot. And I feel like that's the easiest way for me to learn his word, Mm -hmm. to learn the Bible and what he says is by by singing him. You can recall that very easily.
3: I really appreciated as a mom, just her perspective of, you know, in in the, she was talking about the backpack that she Mm. was going to carry and just saying that, you know what, I'm going to carry grief, but I'm not going to carry anger. I'm not going to carry bitterness. And, you know, looking from the outside in, it's hard to imagine that. But again, that is the Lord, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit working through her. Um, I was very touched by Mm -hmm. that
1: you know, if you've listened to this for any amount of time now, you probably know that I love pictures. I love visions. (laughs) I love dreams. And so when she talked about having such a difficult time falling asleep and God giving her the picture of resting on his shoulder and that it was big Jesus, not skinny Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I love big, strong Jesus. (laughs) I love that. I can so relate because that's what God does with me. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit gives me pictures in my mind that I hold on to. And then when he confirmed it to her by giving her the literal painting. It's I'm incredible. Like, isn't that the Lord? Does Isn't that what he does if we have our eyes open and we realize that it's him? We are so thankful you listened today. We hope that you enjoyed Kara's story as much as we did and that you were encouraged if you're walking through an everyday challenge or something incredibly difficult that you got hope from Jesus today in some part of her story. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.